السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمد عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected brothers and sisters السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته We gather for the second part of our study of the hadith of Ka'b ibn Malik رضي الله عنه from Sahih al-Bukhari Last week we only completed the first sentence because I spent a bit of time explaining the background to this whole story of Ka'bar Just to recap, in the ninth year of Hijrah, having continuously received reports of an impending attack on Medina by the Byzantine Romans along with their Ghassani allies. The Prophet ﷺ decided to march preemptively against them and engage them as a preemptive measure. And so in the month of Rajab, in the ninth year of Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ or possibly before, he made an announcement and informed the Muslims of his intention. He appealed to the Muslims of Medina, as well as the Muslims and the allied tribes surrounding Medina to join him on this expedition. People flocked from outside the city into the city to join the Prophet ﷺ. And the Muslims themselves in the city of Medina began making preparations upon his instructions. Then eventually in the month of Rajab, Prophet ﷺ left and embarked on this journey up north. The expedition wasn't known as the expedition of Tabuk at the time because Tabuk was just the place where the Prophet ﷺ ended up halting and then finally returning. That was his final stop on this journey. Otherwise, his declared and intended direction was up north towards Sham. And in fact, some of the reports that the Prophet ﷺ had received was that the enemy had gathered in an area known as Balqa, which is actually in modern-day Jordan. 
So the Prophet ﷺ embarked on this expedition along with 30,000 companions. Anhum. He marched for approximately 10 15 days. He then camped at Tabuk for again another 15 20 days actually. And then he made his return journey to Medina. So the whole journey took just under two months. And he returned in the month of Ramadan to the city of Medina. This was a very momentous occasion for the Prophet ﷺ and the believers. And in fact, this was the Prophet ﷺ's final expedition. He, after this, he embarked on no other military expedition. His next great journey was the farewell pilgrimage, which was his final journey in life. So this was a very critical, momentous and important occasion for the believers. And it was a great test of faith. <coughs> Although 30,000 companions joined him, a number of people from Medina didn't. And prior to his departure, a number of people from Medina and also the surrounding areas sincerely came to the Prophet ﷺ and sought leave, sought his permission not to join him for genuine reasons. So they were excused by Allah and his messenger ﷺ. Others came insincerely and they were hypocrites. And they came to the Prophet ﷺ merely to make a mockery of him, and they sought his permission to take. They sought his permission to remain behind. Prophet ﷺ granted them permission also. So, although thirty thousand companions joined him, a number of people didn't. Some of them were sincere, and they were granted permission by the Messenger of Allah to remain behind. A number of them were clear hypocrites. And according to some reports, they numbered approximately a hundred. Abdullah ibn Uwai ibn Sadul was one of them. And he headed a band of the hypocrites who actually went out and marched for a short distance with the Prophet In any case, there were a few others, approximately ten, who were sincere believers, but they didn't. Nor did they, they didn't join the Prophet ﷺ on this expedition. And they never even sought permission to remain behind. So they failed to join him for various reasons, but they were sincere believers. Upon his return, this, this group of believers who remained behind, but who were sincere and were not hypocrites, approximately seven of them, they were very remorseful and regretful. And prior to the Prophet's arrival in Medina, وسلم, they went to the masjid and tied themselves to the pillars and vowed not to release themselves or allow themselves to be released until the Prophet وسلم, did it himself. Their, this was their act of penance and their repentance was accepted uh, from, that, from the beginning. The other three out of this group of sincere believers who failed to join him and who remained behind, were three individuals known as Ka'b ibn Malik, Murarat ibn al-Rabi'ah, and Hilal ibn Umayyah, radiyallahu anhum ajma'in. 
They were Ansari companions. So they didn't tie themselves to the pillars like the other seven did, approximately. However, they were sincere in their repentance and they came and confessed to the Prophet ﷺ. So Rasulullah told them that he accepted that they he accepted their confession but did not accept their apology and nor did he excuse them or forgive them. Their matter was deferred. Rasulullah reserved judgment until Allah declared his judgment. And Allah also reserved judgment for a while, as the verses of the Qur'an mentioned. So, this is the summary of the campaign of Tabuk. The campaign of Tabuk was a momentous occasion. Many incidents took place during that whole journey and before and after. Uh, There were even a number of miracles that occurred on that journey. We don't have time to go into all of the details. Some of the details may be relevant to parts of the hadith, and I will mention them. But th- this is a summary of the background of this hadith. Ka'b ibn Malik, as I mentioned last week, was one of those three who, whose repentance and whose confession was accepted, but whose repentance was not accepted immediately. He relates this story about himself, mainly. And this was the aftermath of his failure to join the Prophet ﷺ on the journey. As I explained, he was uh, a poet, laureate of the Prophet ﷺ, an extremely eloquent man, a man of letters, uh, an artist, and a real poet, a very forceful poet. And he, Ka'b ibn Malik was also a master of prose. And this hadith is a beautiful and prime example of the sheer beauty and eloquence and sublime nature of Arabic prose and literature. And uh, it's also one of the most famous hadith in the in most authentic collections. So alhamdulillah, we have an opportunity to study this. So let's proceed with the hadith. Also, to mention one more thing, as I explained last week, there were four groups ultimately on the return of the campaign on the return of the Prophet to Medina after Tabuk. So in relation to Tabuk and the campaign of Tabuk, there were four groups and Allah mentions them in the Quran. And they are number one, uh, all of these verses are of Surah Tawbah, most of which was revealed uh, during this period of the book, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ وَالَّذِينَ تَبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوا عَنْهُ وَعَدَّ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي تَحْتَهَ الْأَنْهَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ This is the first group. Allah says, and those predecessors, and earlier ones, of the emigrants and the assistants, and those who followed them in a good way. Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with Allah. And He has prepared for them gardens beneath which rivers shall flow. Therein they shall reside forever. This is the great success. So this was the first group in relation to the campaign of the book, the sincere believers from the Ansar and the Muhajirun. The second group, Allah says of them, 
ومن حولكم من الأعراب منافقون ومن أهل المدينة مرضوا على النفاق لا تعلمهم نحن نعلمهم سنعذبهم مرتين ثم يردون إلى عذاب عظيم Allah says and there are others and there are of those around you of the Bedouin hypocrites منافقون from those around you of the Bedouin and from the people of Medina they have persisted in their hypocrisy. You do not know them, O Messenger of Allah. We know them. We shall punish them twice. Then they shall be returned to a great punishment. So this is a second group in relation to the book, the hypocrites, from the people of Medina and from the Bedouin around Medina. The third group, mentioned immediately here, and the, and the others who have confessed to their sins, they have mixed and combined righteous deeds and unrighteous deeds, other unrighteous deeds. It is possible that Allah may re- relent to them and turn to them in mercy, accepting their repentance. This is the third group, those seven also, who failed to join the Prophet ﷺ, and therefore they were sincere. That's what Allah says. They have combined good deeds, but unrighteous deeds, because of their failure to join the Messenger ﷺ. However, they sincerely repented, they tied themselves to the pillars. Allah accepted their repentance, and ultimately the Prophet ﷺ relieved them. Then the verses of Surah At-Tawbah continue for a short while, and then Allah mentions a fourth group. وَآخَرُونَ مُرْجَوْنَ لِأَمْرِ اللَّهِ إِمَّا يُعَذِّبُهُمْ وَإِمَّا يَتُوبُ عَلَيْهِمْ And the fourth, and others who are deferred to the decree of Allah. Either He will punish them, or He will relent to them and turn to them in mercy, accepting their repentance. This fourth group consisted of only these three companions, Ka'b ibn Malik, Muraratu ibn al-Rabi' and Hilal ibn Umayyah radiyallahu anhum ajma'in. And then much later in Surah At-Tawbah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَقَدْ تَابُ اللَّهُ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ وَالْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْإِنصَارِ الَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُ فِي سَاعَةِ الْعُسْرَةِ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا كَادِ يَزِيغُ يَزِيغُ قُلُوبُ فَرِيقٍ مِّنْهُمْ ثُمَّ تَابَ عَلَيْهِمْ إِنَّهُ بِإِمْرَؤُوفُ الرَّحِيمُ وَعَلَى الثَّلَاثَةِ الَّذِينَ خُلِّفُوا حَتَّى إِذَا ضَاقَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ الْأَرْضُ بِمَا رَحُبَتْ وَضَاقَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ أَنفُسُهُمْ وَظَنُّوا أَلَّا مَلْجَأَ مِنَ اللَّهِ إِلَّا إِلَيْهِ ثُمَّ تَابَ عَلَيْهِمْ لِيَتُوبُوا إِنَّ اللَّهُ وَالتَّوَّابُ الرَّحِيمُ Allah says, Verily Allah relented and turned in mercy to the prophets and to the emigrants and to the assistants, the Ansar, those who followed him in the hour of difficulty. Even after, it was close that the hearts of a group of them would have swerved. Then Allah relented and turned to them in mercy. Verily, he is most compassionate and most merciful with them. And to those, meaning Allah relented and turned in mercy, to those three who were, whose matter was deferred, 
so much so that the earth, despite its vastness, became constricted and tight for them. And even their own souls became tight and constricted for them. And they were convinced that there is no refuge from Allah except unto Allah. Then he turned to them and relented in mercy so that they may repent. (coughs) Verily, Allah is the one who excessively turns to his servants in relenting and in mercy and in accepting their repentance the more, and the one full of mercy. So these are the sets of verses in relation to the people and the four categories of the book. And before Allah said, and others whose matter is deferred. And then later Allah says, Verily, Allah did turn to them and accept their, accept their repentance. So this whole hadith of Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu an is the story between these two verses. Between Allah deferring their matter and ultimately accepting their repentance. So let's continue. I relate, وَبِالْإِسْنَادِ الْمُتَّصَلِ مِنِّي إِلَىٰ أَمِيلِ الْمُؤْمِنِينِ فِي الْحَدِيثِ الْإِمَامُ مُحَمَّدِ بْنِ إِسْمَعِيلَ الْبُخَارِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ from, with a continuous chain of narration from me to Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, who relates with his own chain and sanad, عن كعب بن مالك رضي الله عنه قال, from كعب بن مالك رضي الله عنه that he said, لما تخلف عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم, I did not remain behind from the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم في غزبة غزاها, in any campaign that he marched on, إلا غزبة تبوك, except for the campaign of تبوك. As I mentioned last week, Ka'bun Malik embraced Islam before the Hijrah, but he didn't participate in the Battle of Badr. But from the Battle of Uhud, he participated in all of the battles. Again, except for this one. He adds himself, I did not remain behind in any expedition from Rasulullah except the campaign of Tabuk. غَيْرَ أَنِّي كُنْتُ تَخَلَّفْتُ فِي غَزْبَةِ بَدْرٍ Except that I had remained behind in the expedition of Tabuk. Oh, sorry, of Badr. In the expedition of Badr. وَلَمْ يُعَاتِبْ أَحَدًا تَخَلَّفَ عَنْهَا And he, the Prophet wasallam, did not censor anyone who remained behind from it, meaning the battle of Badr. إِنَّمَا خَرَجَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ يُرِيدُ عِيرَ قُرَيْشِ Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam merely left intending the caravan of the Quraysh حَتَّى جَمْعَ اللَّهُ بَيْنَهُمْ وَبَيْنَ عَدُوِّهِمْ عَلَى غَيْرِ مِيْعَادِ until Allah gathered them and their enemy عَلَى غَيْرِ مِيْعَادِ at an unagreed time. Allow me to explain these two, three sentences. Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu says that in my whole life, I had never remained behind from any expedition with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam except this campaign of Tabuk. Yes, prior to this, after my becoming a Muslim, there was one other expedition on which I did not join him. 
And that was the battle of Badr. Because he was already a Muslim. But he never joined him in the battle of Badr. So he explains why. He says, I did not join him, but... وَلَمْ يُعَاتِبْ أَحَدٍ تَخَلَّفَ عَنْهَا The Messenger of Allah did not censure and rebuke or criticize anyone who remained behind from the Battle of Badr. And the reason he explains, إِنَّمَا خَرَجَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ يُرِيدُ عِيرَ قُرَيْشٍ Allah's Messenger وسلم, merely went out seeking the caravan of the Quraysh. حَتَّى جَمْعَ اللَّهُ بَيْنَهُمْ وَبَيْنَ عَدُوِّهِمْ عَلَىٰ غَيْرِ مِيْعَادٍ Until Allah gathered them, the companions and the prophets, and the enemy, عَلَىٰ غَيْرِ مِيْعَادٍ At a time and place that wasn't agreed. This is a bit of background to the Battle of Badr. It's important to know this, otherwise one won't understand what. Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu is saying. In the second year of Hijrah, in the month of Ramadan, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam left Medina seeking the caravan of the Quraysh. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had learned that the Quraysh had sent a caravan of trade to Sham. And that was on its way back from Sham and returning to Mecca. This was their lifeline. Now after the Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ had sent a number of, had dispatched a number of military contingents to intercept and raid a number of caravans. This was part of their economic Warfare against the city-state of Mecca after having been ex- more or less expelled from the city and because of the ongoing state of war between them. The Quraysh, who depended on their trade, they had sent a very large caravan. Now, prior to this, smaller caravans would travel. But because the Quraysh were now very fearful of these incursions and these uh, attacks and interceptions of their trade caravans to Sham because the trade route from Mecca to Sham passed by to the immediate west of Medina, very close to Medina. So the Sahaba would often come out. So because of this fear of their caravans being intercepted, what the Quraysh decided to do is instead of sending smaller trade caravans to combine lots of them and send a very large trade caravan all together with actually a small armed guard for their protection. So on this occasion, in the second year of Hijrah, under the leadership of Abu Sufyan, the Quraysh dispatched a caravan of over a thousand camels. And it was laden with wealth. Also, much of this wealth belonged to the emigrant, well, not much, but a part of this wealth belonged to the Muhajirun companions who had fled the city and after their departure the Quraysh had impounded their wealth and confiscated their wealth, occupied their homes and robbed them of their possessions behind them. So the Muhajirun felt that they were only reclaiming, not only were they in a state of war with the Makkans, but also they were only reclaiming their own wealth that had been taken off them. So the Prophet 
This was a lucrative opportunity. Prophet ﷺ gathered the Sahaba anhum and informed them that we will go and try to intercept this caravan of approximately a thousand camels laden with wealth on its return from Sham under the leadership of Abu Sufyan. So the Prophet ﷺ left Medina with just over 300 companions. Only about 90 of those companions were muhajirun, were emigrants. Because remember, they were the principal companions. The Ansar, in many ways, they were secondary to the muhajirun sahaba radiyallahu anhum. Uh, allow me to explain. When the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina, and prior to his arrival, the precursor to his uh, hijrah and emigration was the invitation of the people of Medina to Rasulullah ﷺ to come to them, to preside over them, to reconcile their warring factions. And in order to do so, they pledged their allegiance and their protection to Rasulullah ﷺ in the night of Aqaba, something I will explain shortly. So, the Ansar Sahaba radiallahu anhum, their agreement with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam prior to their prior to his emigration and hijrah to Medina was not that they would join him in all of his campaigns. Their agreement was simply that they would protect him as they protected their own wives, children, families, and their property in the city of Medina, not outside. So that was the agreement. So in the second year of Hijrah, when the Prophet ﷺ marched out to intercept this caravan of trade of, of the Quraysh, he invited whoever wanted to join him. But the principal invitees were the Muhajirun. There were about, nine, about 85, 90 of them, close to 90. They joined him. The other over 300 of the Sahaba anhum were made up by the uh, Ansar, just over 200 were the Ansar Sahaba anhum. But even they weren't all of the Muslims. Many chose to remain behind because they were under no obligation whatsoever. This was not a case of life and death. It wasn't a case of the protection of the city. Uh, this, this wasn't even a military expedition. It was an incursion. So they had a choice of joining or not joining. How did it end up being the Battle of Badr? Well, when the Prophet ﷺ marched, his intended direction wasn't Badr. He merely wanted to intercept the returning caravan. So as the caravan was returning, the Quraysh had spies in Medina. And Abu Sufyan, who was a very astute uh, individual, he had scouts who were reconnoitering the advance areas. And he learned from his scouts and spies that the Prophet ﷺ had left Medina. So what he did is that on his return journey, he took a detour to the right, uh, travelled closely to uh, along the shore of the Red Coast, and he sent word to Mecca, telling them that this is what Muhammad ibn Abdullah intends to do, and he has left Medina with a couple of hundred, uh, with just over three hundred companions. And you need to come out and protect the caravan. So Abu Sufyan actually only invited or sent word to Mecca for the Quraysh to come out with an armed party to protect their caravan. He had an armed guard with him, but they weren't enough to 
face the 300 or so companions of the Prophet ﷺ. So the Quraysh, they considered Abu Jahl, who was a very bellicose, belligerent individual, he felt that this was an opportunity to again have another fight with the Messenger ﷺ. So he was very eloquent, and he managed to convince the Quraysh not to send out a small party, but to arm themselves to the teeth and march out with the declared intention of facing the Muslims and exterminating them once and for all. So eventually they all fell in line and over a thousand or approximately a thousand of the Quraysh marched out from Mecca, not merely to protect the caravan, but for a full-scale battle with the Prophet ﷺ. Even till now, Rasulullah ﷺ had no intention of battle. And none of the Sahaba عنهم, had no, any knowledge of an impending battle. They were only looking out for the caravan. When the Quraysh left Mecca, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, uh, sent a revelation to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, informing him that the trade caravan is on its way back to Mecca, but an armed, but an army is on its way from Makkah towards you. So you now have two parties. And Allah will ensure that you will meet one of the two parties. And as Allah says in the Quran, وَإِذْ يَعِدُكُمُ اللَّهُ إِحْدَى الطَّائِفَتَيْنِ أَنَّهَا لَكُمْ وَتَبَدُّونَ أَنَّ غَيْرَ ذَاتِ الشَّوْكَةِ تَكُونُ لَكُمْ And remember when Allah was promising you, that you will have one of the two groups. And you were wishful, and you were desirous, that the group lacking strength would be yours. Meaning when the Prophet ﷺ told the Sahaba ﷺ, and they also found out through reports that the Quraysh have left Mecca, now it was a choice, what do we do? So secretly, many of the companions, or a number of the companions, were still harboring hope that we hope we don't have to meet with the Quraysh, and we hope we can catch the easy prey of the trade caravan and plunder their wealth and return to Medina. So Allah says, and remember when Allah was promising you one of the two groups, that it would be yours, and you were desirous and wishful, that the group and the party that lacked strength would be yours. But Allah wished, and yuhiq al-haq, that he establishes the truth with his words, and he cuts off the root of the enemy. So they were still hopeful that they would meet the trade caravan and not the Quraysh. Eventually, in, on their journey, they ended up near the wells of Badr. Uh, th- these were watering holes, known as, the, known as the wells of Badr. So the Prophet ﷺ had his own spies and scouts. They captured one of the Quraysh and interrogated him, and he was brought to Rasulullah ﷺ, who also interrogated him. And from him they learned that the Quraysh, with an army of a thousand, was just very close by, over the hills. So the Prophet ﷺ then said that they are here, we will face them. And just shortly prior to this, again speaking of the Ansar, when the Prophet ﷺ learned that the Quraysh 
were not too far off. And he informed the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. He held a council. And he made a declaration. And he said, what do you want to do? Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu stood up and said, Ya Rasulullah. He spoke well, i.e. we face the enemy. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam stood up, uh, sorry, said a second time, what do you say? Umar radiallahu anhu stood up and said what Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu did, which is he spoke well. We join your messenger of Allah in facing the enemy. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam asked a third time. Another sahabi stood up and spoke well. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam again asked. And it was on this occasion that Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu the leader of the tribe of Aws, and the leader of the Ansar, he stood up and he said, Ya Rasulullah, it seems that you are referring to us. Why? He speaks now on behalf of the Ansar. The Muhajirun had to join the Messenger of Allah. They were the ones expelled from Medina. They were his first companions. They were his principal party. But the Ansar were under no obligation to fight with him, to join him. Their obligation was merely to protect him in the city of Medina as per the agreement of Aqaba. So Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu said, Ya Rasulullah, it seems as though you were referring to us. And then Allahu Akbar, he gave such a speech. He said, Ya Rasulullah, say what you wish and march with us. Even to the furthest remote region of Yemen, we shall join you. O Messenger of Allah, if you wish, continue and plunge us into the waters of the Red Sea, and we shall follow you. O Messenger of Allah, join the ties of whom, with whomsoever you wish. Cut the ties with whomsoever you wish. O Messenger of Allah, you will not find us saying to you what the people of Musa alayhi salam said to him, اِذْهَبْ أَنْتَ وَرَبُّكَ فَقَاتِلَا إِنَّا هَا هُنَا قَاعِدُونَ Verse of the Qur'an, that O Musa, you go, you and your Lord, and you both fight. We are here seated. Rather, O Messenger of Allah, we say, take us and march with us. We will fight alongside you. And then he said, سِرْ بِنَا عَلَى بَرَكَةِ اللَّهِ O Messenger of Allah, march with us with the blessing of Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ's face beamed in joy. And then he said, Siru ala barakatillah. March with the blessing of Allah. So that was Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu. I've given, and then they marched towards the wells of Badr. I've given this introduction in order to explain why Ka'ab ibn Malik radiallahu anhu says that the Prophet ﷺ, he only went out seeking the caravan of the Quraysh. And not with the express intention of battle. This only came about later. And this is the meaning of the verses of the Qur'an, وَإِذْ يَعِذُكُمُ اللَّهُ إِحْتِ الطَّائِفَتَيْنِ أَنَّهَا لَكُمْ وَتَوَدُّونَ أَنَّ غَيْرَ ذَاتِ الشَّوْكَةِ تَكُونُ لَكُمْ And remember when Allah was promising you one of the two groups, that they that, that group would be yours, and you were desirous and wishful that the group lacking strength would be yours, i.e. the trade caravan. So this is how the Battle of Badr eventually came about. And again, similar to Tabuk, the direction, Tabuk was never the intention 
just like Badr was never the intention. This identification came about later. So this is a meaning of he remained behind, but the Messenger of Allah never rebuked or censored anyone who remained behind in the battle of Badr. He continues, وَلَقَدْ شَهِدْتُ مَعَرُسْ And that's the meaning of until Allah حَتَّى جَمَعَ اللَّهُ بَيْنَهُمْ وَبَيْنَ عَدُوِّهِمْ عَلَى غَيْرِ مِعَادِ Until Allah gathered and brought together the companions and the enemy at a time and place previously not agreed on. He continues, وَلَقَدْ شَهِدْتُ مَعَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ لَيْلَةَ الْعَقَبَةِ And verily I was present with the Messenger of Allah in the night of Aqaba. حِينَ تَوَاثَقْنَا عَلَى الْإِسْلَامِ When we pledged with one another on Islam. What was Laylatul Aqaba? And I mentioned last week, quickly, the Prophet ﷺ, after the passing away of Abu Talib and Ummul Mu'mineen Khadija radiyallahu anha, since he no longer had the protection of Banu Hashim, his clan, because the leader of Banu Hashim was Abu Talib, his uncle. And even though he was a non-Muslim, being a member of his clan, Abu Talib's clan, Abu Talib had given him protection. Since the head and the chief of the clan gave the Prophet ﷺ his nephew protection, by Arab tradition, by tribal tradition, all of the people of the clan offered him protection under the leadership of Abu Talib. So, because of the prestige of Abu Talib as an individual, the Quraysh kept their distance from Rasulullah and refrained from harming him. But when Abu Talib passed away, he no longer had the protection. But didn't he have the protection of his clan? Very simple question. There was a hierarchy. And Abu Talib, after he died, the leadership of the clan went to his uncle Abu Lahab, who was an avowed enemy of the Messenger of Allah. So he, he now lost the... And since Abu Lahab was the tribal elder, the rest of the tribe would not go against Abu Lahab. Not explicitly. and that, Otherwise it would have been a split. So as a clan, the Prophet ﷺ no longer had the support of the whole clan, although he had the support of a, a number of individuals. Rasulullah went to Ta'if to seek their protection. He went to various tribes. In the Hajj, when all of the tribes would gather, he would go to various tribes and ask them for protection. Abu Lahab would follow him and pelt stone, pelt him with stones. I've related all of this in detail before and tell people, don't listen to Muhammad, he's a madman. For the details, refer to the tafsir of Surah Al-Lahab. Eventually, about... <coughs> Three years before the Hijrah, in the Hajj season, the Prophet ﷺ happened to meet six people from Medina, which was known as Yathrib at the time. The city was known as Yathrib. So he invited them to Islam, he spoke to them, he also sought their help and protection. They were receptive to his message. And they went back and propagated his word. The following year, 
Again in the season of Hajj. Not all six, five of these six, along with seven others, so a total of twelve. So five of the original ones with seven new ones, a total of twelve, from Medina came to the Prophet ﷺ and met him. And on this occasion, they all embraced uh, the others. They all, the, those who hadn't embraced, embraced. And they all offered their support and assistance to the Messenger of Allah. He then sent with them Mus'ab ibn Umayr radiyallahu anh to teach him the Qur'an. The twelve went back. The following year, now it was the third year, they came back, not with twelve, but seventy-five. Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. One of them was Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anh. Approximately seventy-five. When they came, this was the main bay'ah of Aqabah, the main pledge of allegiance given at Aqabah. And Aqaba refers to the area where we have Jumratul Aqaba, the Jumrah, the main pillar that we pelt in Hajj. There are three, the one which is closest to Mecca, this is the one known as Jumratul Aqaba. So that's where the Prophet ﷺ met these companions. And on this third occasion, they gave him the Pledge of Allegiance, they... Uh, gave him the bay'ah, known as the bay'ah of Aqaba, and this is where they granted, well, guaranteed him their support and assistance. Now, this was a momentous occasion again. Of this, Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu says, وَلَقَدْ شَهِدْتُ مَعَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ لَيْلَةَ الْعَقَبَةِ They had to do it at night, in secrecy, fearing for the, uh, fearing the Quraysh. And I was present with the Messenger of Allah in the night of Aqaba Hina Tawathakna al Islam when we pledged our allegiance on Islam. Wama uhibu anali biha mashhada badrin wa in kanat badrun adkarafinna saminha. He says, and I do not wish that I have in exchange for the night of Aqaba the presence of Badr. Even though Badr is more greatly remembered by people, or amongst the people. And in one narration he says, by, by my life, by my soul, the presence in the Battle of Badr was great indeed. What Ka'b ibn Malik says, that I never remained behind in any expedition. Before Tabuk. Yes, I remained behind in Badr. Because at that time there was no obligation. And he gives reasons why. I was present in the night of Aqaba. When I gave the bay'ah before the Hijrah. And he says, And of the two, Badr or Aqaba, The fact that I was at Aqaba, I do not equate anything with that. And I would not even be willing to give up the honor of being present in the night of Aqaba, even for the honor of being present in the Battle of Badr. Even though the Battle of Badr is more greatly remembered by people, and indeed rightfully so, because as he says in the narration, by my soul, 
the presence in the Battle of Badr was great indeed. And truly, because the Battle of Badr was the first major battle, it was a watershed. Rasulullah honored those Sahaba radiyallahu anhu who were veterans of the Battle of Badr. The Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored them. And forever after that day, the veterans of Badr were regarded as the elite amongst the Muslims. So much so that even in later years, during the time of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu and after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he distributed wealth amongst the believers, and he fixed stipends and allowances, the people who received the most were always the veterans of Badr. Even for doing nothing after that, if they had participated in the Battle of Badr, they were the elite, recognized as the elite by Allah, His Messenger, by Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and Umar ibn al-Khattab and the Al-Khulafa al-Rashidun. To the extent that even in the distribution of wealth and allowances, they were given preference and privilege over everybody else. And in fact, uh, when on a number of occasions, the Prophet ﷺ spoke of the people of Badr, the veterans of Badr, on one occasion... One Sahabi radiyallahu anhu had made an error. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu said, Ya Rasulullah, do you not give me permission to strike him? Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Leave him be, O Umar, for what do you know? It is highly possible that Allah has looked at the people of Badr and said to them, Do what you wish, for I have forgiven you. Indeed, the people of Badr, the veterans of Badr were highly regarded by all Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the Al-Khulafa'u rashidun They were the elite amongst the Muslims. But Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu says, still, the honor I feel for having been present in the night of Aqaba is so great that I would not exchange that for anything. I would not even exchange it for the opportunity to be present in the Battle of Badr. Now he begins his story of the book. He says, It is of my tale. It is of my tale that I was never, ever as strong and as wealthy as I was when I remain behind from the Messenger of Allah. في تلك الغزاء in this expedition of the book. Wallahi, by Allah, مجتمعت عندي قبله. Before this, never had come together for me. راحلتان قط. Never ever had come before for me two animals, two animals of transport. Until I gathered them on this expedition. Meaning, I wasn't ever rich. I made do. But in the ninth year of Hijrah, I found myself living in relative comfort. So much so that before the Rajab of the ninth year of Hijrah, before the campaign of Tabuk, before the Messenger of Allah embarked on this expedition, I had never been so wealthy, or so healthy, that, as I was then, so much so that before that, I had never had two animals, before only one. 
if that. But now I have two animals. I was healthy, I was wealthy, I was strong, I was young, firm. He, he must have been approximately 34 years old. <coughs> Not even 34, 35. 35 years of age. Because remember, when he embraced Islam uh, on the night of Aqaba, he was 25 years old. So this is approximate 10 years later. So he was 35 on, on this occasion. So he was at the height of his manly health and powers, wealth as well. He then says, وَلَمْ يَكُنْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يُرِيدُ غَزْبَةً إِلَّا وَرَّى بِغَيْرِهَا And the Messenger of Allah صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ would never <coughs> intend any expedition except that he would disguise it with something else. Until it was this expedition. Meaning, he says that prior to the battle of Tabuk, or the expedition of Tabuk, whenever the Prophet ﷺ embarked on a journey, as part of his strategy, he would never reveal his intended direction. He would always conceal it, disguise it, dissemble, as part of his strategy, in order to conceal his declared intentions, his intentions and his direction from the enemy. However, on this occasion... Rasulullah alayhi salatu made no disguise or concealment or no secrets of his intentions. He openly made an announcement that we will be marching north in order to face the Byzantine Romans and their Ghassanid allies. <coughs> so this is what he says, that Rasulullah alayhi salatu would never intend any expedition illa warra bi Except that he would disguise it with something else. Until it came to be this particular expedition. غزاها رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في حر شديد. Allah's Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم embarked on it. في حر شديد. In severe heat. In intense heat. واستقبل سفرا بعيدا. And he envisaged. سَفَرًا بَعِيدًا A distant journey وَمَفَازًا And a great expanse of land وَعَدُوًا كَثِيرًا And a great enemy Great in numbers فَجَلَّى لِلْمُسْلِمِينَ أَمْرَهُمْ So he made clear the matter He made clear for the Muslims their matter لِيَتْأَهَّبُوا أُحْبَتَ غَزْوِهِمْ So that they may prepare their Equipment of battle. فَأَخْبَرَهُمْ بِوَجْهِهِ الَّذِي يُرِيدُ So he informed them of that direction which he intended. This is an explanation of what he said earlier that prior to this, he would never embark on any expedition. Except that he would always disguise it, he would dissemble and dissimulate. Except on this occasion, he made it clear where he was going, who he was about to face, and why he was marching. And in which direction. And the reason he made it clear was that the campaign of Tabuk was unique. 
unlike other battles which all took place close by, all in a territory familiar to the Arabs, the area between Mecca and Medina, or the surrounding region of Medina. And the enemy was always a Quraysh, or a, or a tribe, not, not, not a huge army. But on this occasion, because he had to face the Byzantine Romans and the Ghassanid Arabs, he says that he made clear the whole matter from before, so that the Sahaba could make their thorough preparations. And the way he explains it, he says, غزاها رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في حر شديد Allah's Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم embarks on this expedition في حر شديد in intense heat. The, imagine the heat of the Arabian desert. And in contrast to this, the, the front, the shade, the sweet and cool shade beneath the fronds of the palm trees in Medina. This is why the hypocrites, in order to make excuses for themselves and to dissuade and discourage the believers, they would tell them, don't go out. And as Allah says in the Quran, وَقَالُوا لَا تَنْفِرُوا فِي الْحَرِّ قُلْ نَارُ جَهَنَّمَ أَشَدُّ حَرَّا لَوْ كَانُوا يَفْقَهُونَ فَلْيَضْحَكُوا قَلِيلًا وَلْيَبْكُوا كَثِيرًا Allah says, and they said, i.e. the hypocrites, to others, to each other and to others, La tanfiru fil do not go out in the heat. Qul, say to them, O Messenger of Allah, Naru harra. The heat, the fire of Jahannam is even more intense in its heat. If only they understand, so that let them laugh little and let them weep more. <coughs> so, Prophet ﷺ embarks on this journey in intense heat. As I mentioned last week, they lacked provisions. And on part of the journey they suffered. To the extent that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, some of them would share a date between them. And not even a date, half a date each. Rather, the way they would share a date is that one of them would suck the date, not eat it or bite it, merely suck on it, and then give it to the other and drink water. The other would suck the date, drink water, give it back, pass it back. And because of their thirst, they eventually ended up slaughtering their own animals, their mode of transport, their means of transport, in order to eat, and more importantly, in order to quench their thirst through the moisture of the innards of these animals. This is why Allah mentions this campaign to be, في ساعة العسرة, in the hour of great difficulty and distress. So, Tabuk, the Ghazwa Tabuk has two names, Ghazwa Tabuk, and Ghazwatul Usra, the expedition of difficulty or the expedition of Tabuk. He says, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa embarked on this journey in great heat. And he envisaged and looked ahead at a very distant journey and Mufaza and a great expanse of land. Because he was traveling from Medina, not to Mecca, familiar territory but all the way up north. And this wasn't part of a trade caravan, this was on a military expedition. So, 
In fact, the Quran refers to this also. لو كان عرضا قريبا وسفرا قاصدا لاتبعوك ولكن بعدت عليهم الشقة that if there was an immediate worldly gain وسفرا قاصدا and a moderate journey لاتبعوك they would have surely followed you ولكن بعدت عليهم الشقة وسيحلفون بالله لو استطعنا لخرجنا معكم يهلكون أنفسهم والله يعلم إنهم لكاذبون Allah says if it was an immediate treasure to gain or a moderate journey they would have surely followed you but the distance became too far for them so they, they didn't want to travel that distance and they will swear to you saying that if only we could we would have joined you they destroy themselves by lying. And Allah knows that they are lying. So, وَمَفَازَ on a great expanse of land. وَعَدُوًا كَثِيرًا And they were about to face not only a long journey, a long and arduous journey, but a great enemy, great in number, in quantity. Although the Sahaba radiallahu anhum numbered 30,000, the reports they were receiving of the Byzantine Romans gathered with the Ghassanid Arabs. In fact, according to some reports, the, the Ghassanid Arabs were so concerned about the Muslims that they even joined forces and made with their traditional enemy, the Banu Lakhm, the Lakhmids. So they all came together, even as bitter enemies previously, in their express intention of facing the Muslims. So the Lakhmids, the Banu Lakhm, from the east, and the uh, Judam from the center and the Banu Ghassan from the north, northwest, all of these Arab tribes fighting under the banner of the Ghassan, of the Byzantine Romans, they gathered. And since all of these tribes had gathered along with the battle hardened veterans of the Byzantine, in fact, they were, they were battle hardened themselves, the Ghassanid Arabs were, as I explained last week, they were battle-hardened veterans of a whole generations of war between these two superpowers. These tribes from the north, the Banu Lakhm, the Judam, the Banu Ghassan, they weren't Bedouins, they were Bedouins, but they weren't just Bedouin tribes that warred amongst themselves and merely embarked on raiding parties. No, these were battle-hardened veterans who were allies and vassals of the two superpowers of the time, who had both engaged in uh, generations of warfare, the Sasanian Persian Empire and the Byzantine Roman Empire. So, when the Prophet ﷺ embarked on this journey, some of the hypocrites even used this as an excuse. They said, look, do you think fighting the Byzantines is like fighting the Arabs, the Arab tribes? This isn't merely a case of a skirmish or a quarrel between Arab tribes. You are going to face the battle-hardened veterans of the Banu Ghassan and the Byzantine forces of Rome. They even tried to dissuade them in this manner. So this is why Ka'b ibn Malik says, Since the Prophet envisaged all of this, and a great enemy of great numbers, the numbers were in excess of a hundred thousand. So, 
Prophet ﷺ made clear everything to the believers so that they knew where they were going, which direction they were going to take, who they were going to face, so that they could make their necessary preparations. So that they may prepare the equipment of their battle. So the Prophet ﷺ informed them of that direction which he intended. And the Muslims with the Messenger of Allah were many. And no documented register could enumerate all of them. Of course, 30,000 in contrast to well over 100,000, and possibly even more, much, much more. It may not seem much, but think of this. In the second year of Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ marched with just 300 Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, just over 300. In the Battle of Uhud, just over 700. They didn't even march. They were fought at, on the outskirts of the city. In the campaign of the trench, they were still in Medina. In even two year, even a year before this, at the conquest of Mecca, there were just 10,000. But now, all of a sudden, there were 30,000 Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. And how the Muslims had grown... Out of those 30,000, one third of the army, 10,000 was just cavalry. So the Prophet ﷺ marched with a great number. This is why Ka'b ibn Malik says, and the Muslims with the Messenger of Allah were many, no documented, no uh, documenting register, or no registering document could enlist or enumerate all of them. قال كعب, so Ka'b said, فَمَا رَجُلٌ يُرِيدُ أَن يَتَغَيَّبُ So there was no man who wished to hide. إِلَّا ظَنَّ Except that he thought, أَن سَيَخْفَى That he will be able to conceal himself or remain concealed. مَا نَمْ يَنْزِلْ فِيهِ وَحْيُ As long as no revelation of Allah descends about him. So he says that since there were so many, 30,000, the hypocrites who didn't want to go, felt that we won't be missed. How will we be missed in 30,000? Unless, of course, unless, of course, Allah sends a revelation. And this is strange. This is how the hypocrites were. On the one hand, they didn't believe the Prophet ﷺ. They chose not to follow him. Yet every now and then, in their self-doubt, they would ask one another, is there any new revelation about us? Have any verses of the Qur'an come down to us? Has Muhammad received any new revelation about us? SubhanAllah. This is why he says specifically, فَمَا رَجُلٌ يُرِيدُ أَن يَتَغَيَّبْ إِلَّا ظَنَّ أَن سَيَخْفَى لَهُ مَا نَمْ يَنْزِلْ فِيهِ وَحْيُ اللَّهِ There was no man who wished to remain hidden Except that he thought he will remain hidden from the Prophet ﷺ as long as there is no revelation that comes down to the Prophet of Allah about him. وَغَزَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ تِلْكَ الْغَزْوَةَ And Allah's Messenger ﷺ marched on this expedition. 
when the fruits and the shades were beautiful. Why does he say this? Because when the Prophet ﷺ marched, it was in Rajab, in the ninth year of Hijrah. This was approximately uh, in October, and in late autumn. And late autumn is one of the times when the people of Medina would harvest their dates. So, although it was still hot, in Medina, fruits were in abundance. The Sahaba and the people of Medina were on the verge of harvesting their dates, plucking their fruits. So what the Arabs would do is they would have their homes and they would have their orchards and their palm groves, their date palms. So at the, t- at the time of harvesting their dates, at the time of the harvest, it would be a beautiful setting. You had cool breezes, cool wind, you had shade, you had fully laden branches, you had water. So what the Arabs would do is that they would move away from their residential homes and spend some time in their orchards. So they would camp out in their orchards, surrounded by fresh fruits. And they would pluck the fruits and harvest them. So, Ka'ibun Malik says, right at the time that the Prophet ﷺ made this announcement and embarked on his expedition, he did so, when the fruits and the shades were beautiful. وَتَجَهَّزَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ وَالْمُسْلِمُونَ مَعَهُ And Allah's Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم prepared, and the Muslims prepared along with him. فَتَفِقْتُ أَغْدُ So I began going out in the morning, لِكَيْ أَتَجَهَّزَ مَعَهُمْ So that I could make preparations with them. فَأَرْجِعُ وَلَمْ أَقْضِي شَيْئًا Then I would return, i.e. in the evening, and I hadn't done anything. فَأَقُولُ فِي نَفْسِي so I would say in my soul, I can do it. No rush, no hurry. I can manage. Remember he said earlier, I was healthy, I was fit. I was never fitter, stronger and wealthy as I was then. I had the means. So I was a bit complacent and relaxed. So I would go out in the morning and I'd say, I'll prepare. And the day would pass I'd return home in the evening and realize that I hadn't done anything for my preparation. So I would console myself and I'd say, فَأَقُولُ فِي نَفْسِي أَنَا قَادِرٌ عَلَيْهِ I'd say to myself, I'm capable of it. I'm able to do it. فَلَمْ يَزَلْ يَتَمَادَى بِي So this state of mind continued with me and persisted with me حَتَّى اشْتَدَّ بِالنَّاسِ الْجِدْ Until the people's efforts became, became intense. I Things gathered pace. And now there was a sense of urgency and hurriedness. And people began preparing more intensely and more hurriedly. فَأَصْبَحَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ الْمُسْلِمُونَ مَعَهُ 
So Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the Muslims along with him became such Sorry, they left. فَأَصْبَحَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَمُسْلِمُونَ مَعَهُ So the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam left in the morning along and the Muslims along with him. And although it's not mentioned here, he left on Thursday. And Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would never go on a journey except that he would leave on a Thursday. So he left on the Thursday. وَلَمْ أَقْضِ مِنْ جَهَازِي شَيْئًا and they left, but I had not prepared anything of my equipment. So I said, So I said, I'll prepare in a day or two days after him. Then I will catch up with them. So then I set out in the morning after they had left so that I may prepare. Then I returned, I again in the evening, and I hadn't prepared anything. Then I went out in the morning. Then I returned. And I still hadn't concluded anything. So this state of mind continued. Until they hastened on their journey. And the army had passed, meaning gone too far now. And I intended to ride and catch up with them. And would that I had done so, if only I had done so. But this was not destined for me. So, subhanAllah, what this tells us is procrastination. One must not delay the obedience of Allah and His Messenger Procrastination is no good. Prevarication and procrastination are both harmful to a person's <coughs> prospects in life and in religion. And in fact, in a verse of the Qur'an, Shaytan said to Allah when Allah threatened him and banished him. Shaytan said to Allah, وَلَأُضِلَّنَّهُمْ وَلَأُمَنِّيَنَّهُمْ وَلَآمُرَنَّهُمْ I will surely lead them astray. وَلَأُمَنِّيَنَّهُمْ And I will give them, surely give them hope. I.e. false hope. So false hope is one of the ploys of shaitan. When it comes to the obedience of Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, one should, when it comes to good deeds, one shouldn't prevaricate or procrastinate. And Allah says in the verse of the Qur'an, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمُنُوا اسْتَجِيبُوا لِلَّهِ وَلِلْرَسُولِ إِذَا دَعَاكُمْ لِمَا يُحِيكُمْ وَعَلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ يَحُولُ بَيْنَ الْمَرْءِ وَقَلْبِهِ O believers, when Allah and His Messenger call you to that which gives you life, then respond to their call, answer their call. And know that verily Allah comes in between a man and his heart. I.e., once we are, once we make an intention to do something, and we know that it's good, there should be no delay, unnecessary delay. Because with the passage of time, with that delay, 
our intentions may change. Our resolve and commitment may wither and waver. And it's quite possible our hearts may make a complete reversal of its intent, of their intention. The Prophet ﷺ, one of his more frequent du'as was Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi and so do others. They relate from both Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu and the mother of the believers, Umm Salama radiyallahu anha, that they both say, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would excessively make the following dua. Allahumma muqallib al-qulub, thabbit qalbi ala deenik. Oh Allah, the flipper of the hearts, grant my heart steadfastness upon your religion. And if that was a messenger of Allah, then who, what can we say of ourselves? So when it comes to good deeds, there should be no prevarication or procrastination. And Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu says that, look, I kept him saying to myself, Tomorrow, tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, the day after tomorrow. And in the end, what happened? I ended up not being able to do anything. So this was not destined for me. Then after that, what happened? The army was too far ahead. So then, when I would go out amongst the people, after the leaving of the Messenger of Allah, فَطُفْتَفِيهِمْ Then I would roam amongst them. أَحْزَنَنِي It would grieve me. أَنِّي لَا أَرَى إِلَّا رَجُلًا مَغْمُوسًا عَلَيْهِ النِّفَاقِ That I would not see anyone except a man who was accused of hypocrisy. أَوْ رَجُلًا Or a man مِمَّنْ عَذَرَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى مِنَ الضُعَفَاءِ Whom Allah, the exalted, had excused from the weak ones. وَلَمْ يَذْكُرْنِي So he says that when I went out in Medina, it was strange. I could see no one. I could see no man. Except someone who was disabled, or who was genuinely old, or weak, and who had been given permission by Allah and His Messenger wasallam to remain behind. Or a man who was fit and healthy, but who was known for his hypocrisy. And I found myself amongst such people. This was the spirit of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. In fact, even Ali ibn Abi Talib there was no one there, men and women in Medina. 30,000 Sahaba and approximately had all gone. A hundred or so hypocrites a number of those who were weak and genuinely unable to join the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they remained behind. Otherwise, no one else. Men, women, oh, sorry, women and children, and the weak, and the invalids. So, and the hypocrites. So he says, I, I would roam amongst them and see only such people. And it would grieve me that I found myself amongst them. <laughs> this reminds me, on this occasion... When the Prophet ﷺ left, he appointed someone as a leader of Medina after him. And that was Muhammad ibn Maslama al-Ansari radiyallahu anhu. So he appointed him as the imam and the leader. He would lead them in prayers, whoever remained behind, and he would handle the affairs of Medina on behalf of Rasulullah ﷺ in his absence. That was when it came to the affairs of the Muslims as his deputy. But... In order to look after his family, his family members, 
the Prophet وسلم, appointed Ali ibn Abi Talib. So Ali ibn Abi Talib was his deputy, but only in his family. But the deputy for the whole of Medina was Muhammad ibn Muslim al-Ansari. So when Ali ibn Abi Talib عنه, he said to him that you remain behind and you look after the women folk and the, children, the women and the children and the families. So Ali ibn Abi Talib عنه, accepted and the Prophet وسلم, left. Now the hypocrites, projection of guilt, instead of looking at themselves, they all began taunting Ali عنه, and said, look at Ali, Muhammad, Muhammad ibn Abdullah, Muhammad has left Ali, he's taken everybody else with him, but he's left Ali in order to care for him because he's his son-in-law. He doesn't want him to be harmed in battle. So out of care and affection for Ali, he's kept him behind. So when Ali radiallahu an heard this, he grabbed his weapons and his armor, prepared himself, and he left Medina. And the Prophet wasallam was camped at a short distance from Medina. This was at the very beginning, after he had left. So he met up with him, and he told the Prophet ﷺ what the hypocrites were saying about him. So the Prophet ﷺ said, he told him, in effect, that it doesn't matter what they say, go back. So Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim and others all relate that Ali anhu said to the Prophet ﷺ, a messenger of Allah, do you leave me amongst the women and the children? Because that's who, that's all there was. This is why Ka'ru and Malik says, I wouldn't see anyone except a clear hypocrite or an invalid whom Allah had excused. There was no one left. So Ali ibn Abi Talib said to the Prophet ﷺ, Messenger of Allah, do you leave me behind in the women and children? So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, O oh, Ali, does it not please you? أَلَا تَرْضَى أَن تَكُونَ مِنِّي بِمَنْزِلَةِ هَارُونَ مِنْ مُوسَىٰ إِلَّا أَنَّهُ لَا نَبِيَّ بَعْدِي Does it not please you, O Ali, that you are in relation to me in the position of Harun in relation to Musa? Musa السلام, went to meet his Lord and speak to him. And he left behind as his deputy, Harun السلام. So he said, does it not please you that you be my deputy? And that you be in the position, of, in relation to me, in the position of Harun, in relation to Musa. Except, إِلَّا أَنَّهُ لَا نَبِيَّ بَعْدِي That there is no prophet after me. So that Ali radiallahu and then returned to Medina and took on the duty that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had uh, imposed on him. So this is why he says that I would go out and see no one except a man who was known for his hypocrisy or an invalid whom Allah had excused. وَلَمْ يَذْكُرْنِي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ And Allah's Messenger وسلم, did not remember me حَتَّى بَلَغَ تَبُوكَ until he reached Tabuk. So imagine, he says that he never asked about me at any time in the journey except when he reached Tabuk, which is, uh, as I mentioned last week, approximately 400 miles, 430 miles from Medina. So when he arrived in Tabuk, that was just where he happened to camp. And then he never proceeded beyond that because he returned. Because by that time he learned that the uh, enemy uh, hadn't gathered or they had gathered but dispersed. So when he reached the book, the Prophet 
On that occasion, he asked about Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu, but he didn't mention him until till then. So Ka'b says, وَلَمْ يَذْكُرْنِي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمَ Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not remember me حَتَّى بَلَغَ تَبُوكَ until he reached the book. فَقَالْ So he said, وَهُوَ جَالِسٌ فِي الْقَوْمِ بِالتَّبُوكَ Whilst he was seated amongst the people in Tabuk, مَا فَعَلَ Ka'b? وَهَسْ Ka'b done? Meaning, where is Ka'b? How is it with Ka'ab? Ma fa'ala Ka'ab. Faqala rajlun min Bani Salimah. So a man from Banu Salimah. Banu Salimah was a tribe or the clan of Ka'ab ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu. So someone from his own clan. Since Ka'ab ibn Malik was from Banu Salimah. So he says, a man from Banu Salimah said, meaning from my own clan, Ya Rasulullah, or Messenger of Allah, habasahu burdah. His two cloths, have kept him behind. And his glancing at the sides of his cloth. What that means is, His two cloths have kept him behind, and his glancing at the two sides. I'd have to demonstrate. When a person is dressed well, what does he often do? <laughs> That's the meaning of one adhurhu fi itfay, So when a man dresses well and then rubs himself, brushes himself and looks at himself on both sides in self-conceit, that's the meaning of one adhurhu fi itfay. So his two cloths have kept him behind and his glancing at the two sides of the cloth. Now why did he say that? One could ask that, how can someone of his own clan, who was a Muslim, who was a sincere Muslim, he was, because the Sahabi radiyallahu anhu said that, was Abdullah ibn Unais al-Salami radiyallahu anhu, and he himself was a shaheed in the battle of Yamama. Later. So how could a sincere Sahabi radiyallahu anhu say this about Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu? There's a reason. Remember what I explained about the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum in the hadith of Ifq when they all stood up and Sa'd ibn Ubadah said something and another Sahabi radiyallahu anhu said something and they came to an argument in the masjid. I explained in detail then, refer to that. But here as well, the reasons Abdullah ibn Unais radiyallahu anhu as-salami spoke out so forcefully was being out of passion and anger for the sake of Allah and His Messenger. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That was all. This was what prompted him to speak so strongly and harshly because they felt for the Messenger of Allah. That they saw him, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam never said a word about Ka'ab till now. And then he says, Ma fa'ala Ka'ab, what has Ka'ab done? Where is Ka'ab? What is it with Ka'ab? So one of his own clan who knew Ka'ab, he said out of anger. He didn't remember, he didn't accuse him of hypocrisy. He merely said out of anger, thinking, look at where we are, look at where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is. And what's Ka'ab doing? So out of anger, being a member of, the own, of his own clan, he said his <coughs> indulging in his clothing and his indulgence, self-indulgence, has kept him behind, O Messenger of Allah. So, he spoke out of passion and anger. فَقَالَ مُعَاذُ بْنَ جِبَلْ 
So Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu an responded. And he said, Bi'sama qult, terrible indeed is what you have just said. Wallahi ya Rasulullah, by Allah, Messenger of Allah, ma'alimna alayhi illa khayra, we do not know anything of him except good. And it's true. Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu an, he, he was present in the night of Aqaba, in the camp, in the battle of Uhud, look at the role he played. He answered Abu Sufyan when he tried to create a divide between the Ansar and the Muhajirun. He composed, he spontaneously recited poetry, strengthening and motivating the, the, the believers and uh, satirizing and lampooning the enemy. And he was the one, first one who saw the Messenger wasallam in safety and exclaimed and announced it. And he was one of those who fought bravely. So much so that he sustained a number of wounds, 17 wounds on that day. And he was actually carried off the battlefield and his, uh, those who were close to him feared that he would actually die on that day. So he had already demonstrated his sincerity and his loyalty to Allah and his Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And everyone knew. So what Abdullah ibn Unais as-Salami said of him was merely out of anger and passion for the sake of Allah and his Messenger. Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu responded in kind and said to him, terrible indeed is what you have said by Allah, O Messenger of Allah, we do not know anything of him except good. فَسَكَتَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ So Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fell silent. He remained silent. He didn't say anything else. Insha'Allah we'll continue from here next week. But uh, just to end on, the, on this point. فَسَكَتَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fell silent. Rasulullah alayhi salatu wa salam was mindful of who had joined him. And earlier on, Ka'ab uh, Malik says that the hypocrite, or there was no man who thought, who wanted to remain behind, except he th- that he thought, yes, I could remain hidden from the Messenger of Allah. But the Prophet wasallam, he would inquire of those who were close and who he knew. And not only that, he was very intelligent and perceptive. But he wouldn't say anything. Here as well, he fell silent. There was two of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, of whom it's mentioned that something happened on that occasion. One was Abu Khaythamah al-Ansari radiyallahu anhu. Abu Khaythamah al-Ansari radiyallahu anhu was a sincere companion. And he says of himself, again, on the journey, it so happened that Abu Khaythamah al-Ansari radiyallahu anhu, he says of himself that I was in Medina. And the Prophet sallallahu had left. Remember, I mentioned about the people of Medina camping in their orchards and in their palm groves. So he says that I had two wives. And both of my wives had prepared huts. Well, he had huts in his palm grove, in his orchard. And both of his wives had prepared their huts. Water had been sprinkled. And the meaning of that is in countries in Africa, in the Middle East and in the Far East, etc., in warm countries, we have these mats, jatai, where we hang, they hang straw mats, and they sprinkled with water. 
it's a traditional air conditioning system. So they um, wet straw mats and hang them up. And when the wind blows, the wind, as it blows through the holes in the mat and the gaps, passing through the water, it gives off a cool breeze. So uh, Abu Haytham says that I had two wives, they were both in my orchard, in my palm grove, in their individual uh, huts. And the huts had been sprinkled with water, and they had prepared water to drink. It was a cool shade, and they were f- both of them had prepared food. And I went, and I stood there, and I observed everything. And I said to myself, Oh Abu Khaythama, here you are. The Messenger of Allah is in the dust and the heat and the hot wind of the desert. And here you are, Abu Khaythama, with your two wives, your cool shade, and your abundant fruit. By Allah, Abu Khaythama, this is mostly unjust. This is most unjust. So he said, I swear by, I said to his wife, I swear by Allah, I will not enter any home today. He went, prepared himself, and he marched uh, towards, uh, in, towards the north. And he made haste. When he arrived close, Sahaba radiallahu anhum was seated. They saw someone from a distance. So they said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, here is someone coming from the distance. So the Prophet said, Kun Aba Khaythama. Beat Abu Khaythama. Let it be Abu Khaythama. So when he came, it was Abu Khaythama. So when he came, the Prophet said to him, Woe be unto you, O Abu Khaythama. I what kept you behind. So he pleaded uh, with the Messenger of Allah and begged for his forgiveness. The Prophet then granted him his forgiveness and was pleased with him. An even more beautiful story about this occasion was related by Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu says, remember who narrates this hadith? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu He says that when we went out in Tabuk, people would say about, people would look out and say, where is such and such a person? Where is such and such a person? So they would say to the Prophet ﷺ, O Messenger of Allah, where is such and such a person? How come he remained behind? Where is such and such a person? So the Prophet ﷺ would say to them, Listen, no need to say anything. If there is any good in him, he will come. And if there is no good in him, then Allah has relieved you of him. So on that occasion, someone said, to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, O Messenger of Allah, where is Abu Dhar? Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu an. His camel has kept him behind. He had problems with his camel. So where is he? He was with us, but he's disappeared now. His camel kept him behind. Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam heard. He said, Where is Abu Dhar? Now, Abu Dhar radiyallahu an. His camel had kept him behind. So his camel was giving him problems. So eventually, when he felt that his camel could no longer carry him or proceed with him, Abu Dhar radiallahu anh took his luggage, 
off the camel, abandoned his camel, and placed his luggage over his shoulders and back, and began walking in the desert. Some time later, Sahaba radiallahu anhum, one of them shouted, remember this great expanse of desert, and there in the simmering heat, in the distance, breaking the heat and the mirage, there was someone walking slowly, an individual. So they said, O Messenger of Allah, there is someone. And they said, it is Abu Dhar. Prophet sallallahu said, May Allah have mercy on Abu Dhar. He walks alone, he shall die alone, and he shall be resurrected alone. What, what a prophecy. And the reason is, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu anhu was a remarkable companion. After the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when some of the Muslims became a bit, well, when they became very wealthy, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu anhu would rebuke, rebuke them, censure them, and criticize them strongly and severely. Everyone telling them, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu anhu's personal opinion was, that it was haram to hoard wealth. It was haram to hoard wealth. And his definition of hoarding wealth was that you could not keep more than what you eat for the day, what you dress for the day. Beyond that, if you retain any wealth, it was hoarding. So he would go around telling everyone. The Sahaba, that was his opinion. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum were... At the receive, some of the Sahaba عنهم, were at the receiving end of his uh, preaching and his warnings. So they complained to many people. They complained to various people. He was sent to Sham, where Muawiyah Well, he was sent to Sham where Muawiyah was a governor. So again, he uh, they were at the receiving end of his war, dire warnings. So he sent him back. So Uthman ibn Affan radiyallahu anhu, Uthman ibn Affan radiyallahu anhu in Medina, people complained to him as well. So eventually, they told he told him that, look, all of them said to him, look, Allahu Akbar, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu anhu said on one occasion, that if I want, if you were to place a sword on my neck, and then I had no opportunity to preach the word of Allah, except in that brief interval, between the placing of the sword on my neck and the chopping of my neck by Allah, I would still preach the word of Allah to you. I, he said, no one will be able to prevent me from preaching. So eventually they banished him. Uthman ibn Affan and said to him, go to Rabadah. He respected him, but because of the Sahaba, some of them being at the receiving end, he told Abu Dhar and go to Rabadah. So Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu and went to an area called Rabada at some distance from Medina and he lived there alone. When Allahu Akbar, when he was about to die in his, on his deathbed, he told his wife, prepare me. And when I die, bathe me, shroud me, and then take me out onto the road and wait for me there. When a group of believers pass, Tell them this is Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. He passed away. What did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam say? May Allah have mercy on Abu Dhar. He walks alone. That was on the occasion of the book. He will die alone. He shall be resurrected alone. 
He died alone. His wife shrouded him, bathed him, shrouded him, prepared him, went and laid him out onto the road. A group passed by. And who was heading the group? None other than the narrator of the hadith, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu Brethren in faith, true companions. When they saw the body and they saw this lady, he asked, he was returning from Kufa, he said, who is this? She said, this is Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu and burst into tears. And, say, and he said, by Allah, Allah's messenger spoke the truth. May Allah have mercy on Abu Dhar. He walks alone, he shall die alone, and he shall be resurrected alone. And then he dismounted, and he prayed Salatul Janazah over him. And then he said in the narrations, that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu and buried him with his own hands. Well, that was only occasion of the book. And we end there, inshallah, we'll continue with the rest of the hadith next week. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulih nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions. All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.